We do have a ton to get through in this episode. Common sense is finally prevailing. There was controversy this month, Dave. I'm not particularly excited by that. Secrets and things on set. I haven't told them anything. I think this is just good times all round. Every Doctor Who is liked by somebody and that's a really good thing. Davo, my Doctor. I know we disagree on this one. First world problems, Dave. I get why fans are asking those questions. Oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. It doesn't compute. It's the elephant in the room. That's okay. Fandom versus the BBC. The cardinal sin. Moving along. Lunch. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I am Dave. And I am Rob. And this is our episode for July 2023. Our subject tonight is TARDIS crews that could only be in the stories and eras that they would be in. Um, we'll explain all that when we get there. Rob, how are you? Dave, I'm very well. This is episode 289, I'm reliably told, and we don't normally celebrate anniversary episodes or even mention episode numbers. So I'm going to mention this random one, episode 289. What a great number. So that's 289 of everything we've ever done. That's correct. That's a lot. It is. <laughs> Um, before we get into the news, we have some local news, Rob. Our friends over at Sirens of Audio are continuing down the path of hosting local fan events, mm-hmm. fan run for the fans. They are bringing Katie Manning out to see us all. She will be in Sydney on the 14th of October and Melbourne on the 22nd of October. And I've definitely bought my ticket for that second one. Fantastic. Lots of advance notice on this. Isn't that great? Yeah, no, that's that's very, very cool. And I hope that it all goes well. I will continue to support them. It's going to be a lot more civilised seeing Katie Manning in Melbourne this time compared to when I was 17. And a bunch <laughs> of us decided to go and see Katie Manning at a special event the Sydney Club was putting on. And we all caught the overnight train from Melbourne to Sydney and mm-hmm. um, were accompanied by a bottle of scotch. <laughs> Fantastic. Spent Saturday and Sunday in Sydney, then all got on the overnight train Sunday night back to Melbourne. And I say overnight train, like it is about 10 or 11 hours on the train. It is, uh, they were, they were tests of character, those trips. Yeah. When you're 17, sharing a bottle of scotch is quite fun. When you're my age, at least having a glass of scotch puts you to sleep. (laughs) Look, one, one of us did have a, a significant amount more of the bottle of scotch than others. Right. And when we realised that the guards on the train were very willing to kick people off at train stations in the middle of nowhere, Ooh. in the middle of the night. Was it winter? It was winter as well, yes. Oh. So they, they could have been, you know, and, and found themselves kicked off a train at Wagga at 2am in the morning, which is... In winter. In winter, <laughs> which is, is not good, particularly as the station before was, uh, was called The Rock. Yeah. And this being 1997, we all did start a quick chorus of, I went to the rock to hide my face, but the rock cried out, no hiding place. <laughs> <laughs> but we did get to see Katie Manning. But look, this will be a lot more civilised. I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. It was 1988 when I last saw Katie Manning. I was ooh, 13 years old. Fantastic. Well, mm. hopefully a lot of others will get to see her. I am reliably informed at tickets to the... Uh, big dinner are almost sold out. Wow! Because they are they are keeping those nice and limited. So if you're on a table, you'll get to have some you know, proper time with Katie. So uh, yeah, if awesome. you're keen, go grab a ticket. Fantastic. Shall we rip into some news? We should because we've got some really good news this time. Sometimes we're scraping we a bit for news, but <laughs> as the show gets closer to coming back, we get more and more real and exciting news. I'm going to start off with a little piece of news that I came across the other week. Now, I'll read you the quote here. Mm -hmm. 
The star of Sex Education and the Barbie movie revealed to Rolling Stone UK magazine that, unsurprisingly, he will be sticking around for a second series which will air in 2025. This is, of course, referring to Shooty Gatwa, so we have a definite Rob. He will do at least a second season. Yes, he's not going to be Eccleston. No, that's right. Now, when I flicked this to you, you had a read and you had a slightly different reaction or a slightly different interpretation of what this means. So I said, he's definitely doing a second season. And your reaction was... Yeah, Dave, when you sent this through to me, I was, I was quite excited to read the piece, but there was a quote that got me with Shudi Gatwa talking about his love for the theatre. And he said, it kept me warm and held me all night, even if I was broke. This is working in the theatre. But I'm planning on getting back to it next year after I finish season two of Doctor Who. And I thought, hmm... That's interesting. If he loves it so much, why wouldn't he go back after season one of Doctor Who? Or does he mean a more sort of permanent, longer term going back to it after season two of Doctor Who? Because dot, 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 is he maybe leaving after season two of Doctor Who? That's immediately where my head went. Yeah, I think that this is a very shrewd piece of contract negotiation from (laughs) Shooty. It could be, actually. Because I suspect what he's saying is that, look, look, Rusty Davies would have said to him, I need you to do at least two years. You've got to do two years back-to-back. We're relaunching the season. Yeah, you can't be Eccleston, full stop. Yeah, yeah. So he said, no, that's fine. I'll commit to two years. And at the end of that, we'll all reassess. It could be that Shooty is so popular and so good in the role that they go, you know what, we'll offer you more money. And if you want to go and have a year off to do the theatre, we'll we'll pause the show. We've done that for other Doctors before. Go and do some stuff in the theatre, build your resume up, and then come back. Or it might be they say, it's been a great two years. We're done off you go back to the theatre, darling. Mm, you'll, you'll hit your head on the console and turn into David Tennant for the third time. And <laughs> we'll do some specials with him for a year. Then you can come back. So, look, Shooty is definitely sticking around for a second year. We're definitely getting another series of RTD2 Who in 2025. I'm not quite sure that we can say that he was the star of the Barbie movie, having now seen the Barbie movie. He's, you know, he's, <laughs> his four lines were good, but I wouldn't say he was you know, the star. No, I've seen clips and he seems around the periphery of the stars. Yes, I think he's in orbit of the stars, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but look, that's that's some good and interesting news. Excellent. My news here, Dave, is that season 20, we've long speculated about season 20 coming out on Blu-ray and finally, finally it's coming. We still don't have a date for its release, But pre-orders are up. People are pre-ordering all over the place. It's happy days. We're probably in, I don't know, maybe a two-month period to release now. That would be my rough guess, which is good. And this is the UK release I'm talking about, of course. I'll talk more about the Australian situation when we get to short topics. But yes, season 20 is coming on Blu-ray. The extras look great. We'll finally get to see that road trip through Europe that Janet and... Davo and Sarah take. Did you get a chance to see Tegan and Nyssa in the specially filmed trailer for this story, Dave? I, I didn't, Rob, but I, I actually have a bit of a confession. There's something I've realised. Yes. Back when the DVD range was coming out, as soon as I got a new DVD or as soon as a new DVD was announced, I was all about the extras. I would put it on, I'd watch the docos, I'd watch the extras, I'd listen to the commentary, and it sort of felt like something new and really exciting. Whereas the Blu-rays now, I'm actually more excited just to watch the stories again. Really? And and it's not that I'm not a big fan of the the, the extras. They're they're fantastic. There's some good stuff in there, but I'm I'm just I'm just a lot more excited now to put these shows on and just enjoy them. 
uh, than I am about everything else. So, no, I, I haven't. I haven't watched the, uh, the, the 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 little teaser trailer. I'm not. I don't think. You know, I'm not a big, big, excited person about that sort of stuff. Mm. I did see though, Rob, when you posted this all on Twitter, you did reignite our ongoing feud by saying by this the the, the Davo related one. Oh yes. By saying that this was the weakest season of Davison series yes. when season nineteen is right there, Rob. And no, no, not at all. Not there are more good stories in season nineteen than twenty. I think that there is more consistency oh. in season twenty than there is nineteen. <laughs> I mean sure, nineteen's got Kinder and Earthshock, but it's also got Time Flight. It's got yeah. Travalba. Yeah. It's got Black Orchid. <laughs> Whereas, you know, there's nothing I really hate in season 20. The King's Demons is a bit weak. Snake Dance is very dull. But I think it's a much more consistent season. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. You, you like Terminus, eh? I, I just a couple of months ago on this very podcast, yes. said Terminus was the Davo story that you should give a second chance to. And now all of fandom can when their Blu-rays arrive. <laughs> Yes, they can, and it'll be very interesting to see what they think because it feels like, and this this has been the same with a lot of Blu-ray releases, it feels like a lot of people either haven't owned these on DVD or have never seen them before. They're, they're really anticipating. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to see these stories. And that's very alien to us, I guess, because we've seen them a million times, thanks to our repeat schedule in Australia at the very least. Yeah, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes out to see what people actually make of this stuff if they are seeing it for the first time. Yeah, it's not an era of the show that I think has had a lot of attention. It's mm. it's not controversial like Colin. It's not exciting to a particular generation like McCoy. It's not the Pertwee era. It's not the Tom era. It's it's just Davo. Yeah. And, and I don't think it gets a look in that much. So I think it's one that people do not dismissed there's there's no pejorativeness in there just just doesn't get the attention Mm. underrated maybe well we will find out we will a quick news item from me we like to announce the target novels that are coming out and three more have been announced they are the star beast written by gary russell yes wild blue yonder written by mark morris and the giggle written by james goss coming out in january 2014 so those three tenant specials are going to be novelized and out not for christmas no not for christmas but very soon after very soon after they've got their their ducks in a row i think i mean this is this is pretty good to come out only a few months after the actual tv stories i think this is a good result you know having this sort of year where they've rejigged doctor who and got people writing books and got people writing scripts and rtd's probably already thinking about the next season it's all falling into place again like a well-oiled machine i'm very excited about that in general Yes, but look, I do think they should make it a tribute to the Five Doctors and release the Giggle novel before it goes out on television. (laughs) That'd be beautiful. (laughs) It would. Okay, let's round out the news. I've got one here, which is a bit of a fun one to finish, Dave, because we often joke at these obvious questions Doctor Who people get asked to generate lobotomized sort of news stories. Yes. Freema Adjaman, would you return to Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, sure, I guess. Why not? <laughs> yeah, what, what's she going to say? I mean, unless they're Chris Eccleston, the answer is always some cloying, 
gosh, yes, please, wouldn't that be jolly fun, you know? And, and behold, an instant news story. Anyway, a variation of that has happened with Mark Gatiss, who was the subject of last month's episode, if you caught that one, dear listener. He was. Yes, clearly being asked by The Guardian if he'd like to play the Doctor. <laughs> and come on, it's Mark Gatiss. What's he going to say? His, his answer for the record was, of course I would, but I think that ship may have sailed. But what was more fun is after then gushing about Shudi Gatwa, because apparently Shudi Gatwa really rates Pertwee's dress sense, and Gatus obviously does Pertwee and all of this sort of stuff. Gatus then did dive in and said if he ever did get to play the Doctor, he would take the role in a radical new direction and wear nothing. I'd be the first naturist Doctor, and that would scare away the Daleks, said Gatus, which I thought was quite fun. Yeah, look, it was. I uh, I didn't see the initial quote from Gatus, but I did see the absurd Twitter fallout where all these people were like, how dare he think that he's good enough to play the Doctor? He's done this. Oh, my God. Guys, guys, if somebody asked me would I like to play the Doctor, I'd go, yeah, sure. Yeah. No one's going to ask me, though. <laughs> I don't even have an equity card. <laughs> And there might be another David Kitchen and you'd have to change your name like so many of them do. That's that's true. There is a Michael Kitchen in the uh, in, in equity, but I don't think there's a David Kitchen. Who knows? Ooh, okay. You might be in luck. Uh, might, might be. So, um, <laughs> Russell T Davies, if Shooty's only doing two seasons, I'm free in 2026. Dave's your man. <laughs> if you can't get Gattis. If you can't get Gattis, yeah. <laughs> On to short topics. Now, Rob... As well as seeing Shudi Gatwa in Barbie, yes. I saw former Dr. David Tennant in the stage play Good, which has been on in the West End recently. Right. Uh, I haven't actually been to the West End. The local, I was going to say. <laughs> yes. The local Palace Theatre, which is one of the smaller, sort of more niche theatre chains in Australia, occasionally do these things where they show recordings of stage plays and ballets and the like at the cinema. And right. so I saw that there was one starring... David Tennant, and I thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll go along. and went with a couple of friends. And he was, look, really, really good. I think we are reaching a point now where over the last few years we've just seen how amazingly good David Tennant is mm-hmm. as an actor. And getting to see him performing on stage, which is a whole different style of acting, a whole different style of performing, was really, really interesting. The play is about a character that he plays who uh, is in... Germany during the rise of the Nazis and just finds himself kind of swept up with it. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to get this promotion, you really need to join the party. If you want to keep going, oh, we need you to do this thing for us. And sort of by the end of the play, he's in a really horrific sort of position, but morally justifying himself all the way through. So it was a really good performance and just, yeah, really, really good to be able to watch that even if it was on the cinema rather than actually in the West End. Now, two questions come to mind. This was a movie as well with Viggo Mortensen in it, who people will know as Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Did you ever see that? I haven't, no, but I think that's right, yes. Yeah, that might be an interesting thing to compare it to. My other question, though, is when they film this stuff, do they just film it from one camera angle so when you sit in the theatre it feels like you're in a theatre or does the camera jump around and zoom in on people's faces more like a movie no they have about three camera positions that mm-hmm. they do cut between and they do do close-ups with some of them so you, you can at times get a really good close-up of tennis performance but they they do pull out a lot into a lot of very sort of wide shots so you're 
always sort of aware of where they would be on stage and how this would look. And and the audience reaction is muted down a bit. You can sort of tell in the audio mix they've they've quietened down the audience reaction a little bit, so it's not pervasive. But it is it is there. You can hear them laughing at the jokes sometimes and hear them applauding sometimes. So it's yeah. it's it's done to ensure there is cinematic sensibility to it. But you always keep that flavour. I am watching a theatre performance. Right. And it, and it was recorded, was it? Because sometimes I know these events in cinemas are live. And given our time difference with the UK, I'm not sure how that would work, actually. But y- Yes, when I saw the ad, I thought, oh, oh, wow, they're doing sort of a simulcast. And I thought, no, he's not doing a play at 3am in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah because there have been things like sports events and so on in in theaters that have been live and i've always been quite fascinated by that uh yes but no this wasn't one but no it was okay. good to see david tennant excellent i only have the one short topic this uh, month dave so it's good that i'm sandwiched in between your two because i'm going to go on a bit here perhaps well, well i thought you might because i've got my run sheet in front of me that, that you typed out and it says rob dash what the F is going on with Blu-rays in Australia? <laughs> well, I've given you a big hint as to what I'm about to say, aren't I? Haven't I? <laughs> Rob, the stage is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, so following on from the Season 20 announcement that we had in the news, let's have a broad update on the Blu-rays in Australia. After the initial delay with Season 9 that we were reporting on, and then a letter to one of our listeners saying that Universal the local distributor was exiting the category in 2023, came this surprising news that season nine would be getting a release through Universal. And we made a video about that. Is this going to be the last hurrah for them though? Because on one hand, they've indicated literally in black and white, it's in a letter, that they're exiting. Yet on the other hand, they're releasing season nine, albeit five months after the uk release by the time it comes out in late august i mean five months that's that's appalling anyone who took our advice of course especially through the youtube videos we've made on the topic and bought from the uk will be happy at this point for two reasons the first being that hey you've had the content to enjoy for many months now and the local release still isn't out for another month after this podcast goes out and the other bit you should be happy about is the local price hike because dear listener what used to be $80 a set is now up to $124 at JB Hi-Fi, which is over a 50% price hike, if your math's not so great. And almost unbelievably, yet this is true, it's on the Sanity website for $156.99, which is almost a 100% increase from what the sets used to cost. So long story short, I could barely recommend the Australian releases in the past. They were always late and the packaging wasn't as good as the UK releases, but they were serviceable. But as of right now, with the delays, with the will they or won't they stop making them game being played out, will we get season 20 here if Universal does pull the pin? And with the ridiculous price hikes, which now make even the cheapest set on par with importing from the UK, I say import from the UK from now on for everything and there is a little tale to this Dave but I'll stop there for the moment and let you have a say yeah look it is quite extraordinary and and it is just from an economic point of view curious 80 bucks for a DVD box set I always thought was a pretty fair price and you know it's not nothing but you can kind of spend that and not be too stressed 120 125 bucks you know, you, you, you start to sort of go, ooh, how much, mm. how much do I need this? Yep. Um, so it is it is a bit, but 
I've always thought we were quite lucky that we got, you know, a full season of television for that price. So maybe, maybe, we, you know, we just have been a little bit too lucky for too long. But, you know, going right back, even to the VHS range, certainly the DVD range, there was always this trade-off in Australia that you got the DVDs or you got the VHSs a couple of months, maybe three or four months late, and they weren't quite the same quality in terms of the printing and the copying as mm. the UK ones, but they were always a markedly cheaper price, particularly by the time you imported them across. You might pay $40 for a VHS imported from the UK and you'd get it the week after release, but you'd pay 25 to 30 in Australia three months later. And that was always the trade-off. Now, we're basically paying the same price for an imported UK copy as for an Australian copy, and it's still late and inferior. Yeah, and I actually threw a poll up on the Southern Hemisphere Doctor Who fans Facebook group saying, you know, what what are you folks going to do? And between a, a couple of the options, the vast majority of fans on that Facebook group are saying they're just going to buy from the UK now. I mean, why wouldn't you if it's the same amount and you get it in nicer packaging and you get it months and months and months and months before it comes out in Australia and you're paying the same price, why wouldn't you do it? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there will still be casual buyers who wander into their DVD shop and go, oh, there's a new Doctor Who Blu-ray out, I'll buy that, that you know, aren't like us and they don't listen to the announcements of, oh my God, there's a season coming out in six weeks' time. I'm going, okay, there'll be casual viewers, but you know, how many people are buying these sets in Australia? It's, it's maybe hundreds. Mm. Well, that ties into, you know, people going into stores to buy physical media with the little tail I want to, to pin on this. And that's come in the last oh, 24 hours of making this episode. It'll be a few days by the time people hear this episode. With the local online retailer Sanity, those are the people who are charging $156.99 for season nine on Blu-ray, uh, dropping on their Facebook quite casually that, hey guys, uh, Disney is pulling stumps on physical media in Australia. So if you want your MCU stuff, if you want your Star Wars stuff, if you want the animations, uh, now's the time to buy it because Disney is nicking off. And all these people jumped into the comments in, on Facebook and said, what? Are you for real? And they jumped in and said, yep, we wouldn't say this if we didn't know it was for sure. It's happening, blah, blah, blah. This caused a huge kerfuffle. I went and made a YouTube video about it, of course, with the angle of with Disney Plus being the new home for new Doctor Who. Would it not be feasible that Disney would have been responsible if they were going to do physical Doctor Who media globally? Wouldn't Disney be responsible for it? I can't see a world where Disney pays all this money to have Doctor Who on streaming and then let some other company cut their grasp by putting out physical media. So were Disney going to take over that? Is that why Universal were dropping out? But how does that now work if Disney are dropping out of the local market? And it's not just are they, they, they definitely are. It's been confirmed in other news stories since that Disney is pulling stumps on physical media. That's huge news in itself, Dave. Yeah, it is. I suspect that the motivation behind this is the ongoing streaming wars. Yes. Where we know that streaming companies are struggling, maybe too strong a word, but maybe not that much too strong a word. We, we know that there are some of the smaller platforms, particularly the ones who are tied around you know, local channels in the US that are now folding or merging. Yes. So things are getting tight. And 
there are people, as I said a couple of months ago, who now pick and choose which streaming service they're going to have, and they they might decide to have Disney for two months, and they'll watch everything they want to watch on Disney for a bit, and then they'll discontinue, and they'll go and have Netflix for two months, and watch all the shows on Netflix they want to catch up on, and then go to Amazon, and oh, there's some more Disney shows, I'll come back to Disney. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're a streaming company, you want people to stick with you month in, month out, and maybe not having the refuge of I've got my favourite movies and TV shows on Blu-ray is a way they can get people to go, well, I guess if I'm not spending $30 a pop on a Blu-ray of the latest Marvel movie, I might as well just go and get my Disney subscription and watch them there. It's no doubt an economic thing. It's probably become more expensive to print physical media. We know mm-hmm. the physical media is, is you know less popular because you have streaming services. None of this shocks me. No, but... What's weird, though, is that flies in the face of... In the last few months, Disney had a big call with all their investors, an investor call, as it were, and uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger had to admit that they had lost 4 million Disney Plus subscribers. Now, I think most of them were in India because they'd done something to the service in India and dropped part of the service, and so they lost a, a ton of subscribers there. They lost the cricket or something in India, didn't they? I think it was something like a sports channel or something like that, which meant the cricket, or I I, I didn't dig into yeah, it that far. Yeah, it, it, it was something where you sort of go, well, that would lose you for me, the Indians, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Bob Iger at the time was saying that physical media was back on the table, possibly, hey, maybe let's not put everything on streaming, let's maybe push some stuff towards physical media. As, as recently as three or four months ago, this was a thing. People were making videos about it, especially guys who are into physical media, saying, this is really exciting news. Bobby Iger is, you know, championing physical media. And maybe he still is, but not in Australia, apparently. Yeah, and look, maybe Australia is just the first market that they're pulling out of. Maybe we're going to be a bit of a guinea pig. If it completely flops here, they'll reinstate physical media in Australia and pretend it never happened. If it does have the success they want, they save money not printing a whole bunch of Blu-rays and force people onto Disney+, Plus. then I suspect we'll be the first of many. Yeah, look, I'm just glad in the last few years especially, I've been hoovering up a lot of physical media off uh, places like eBay where people throw it up for three and four bucks a pop, including postage. And I go, thank you. I'll have that. <laughs> and I now have a huge, well, I already had a pretty huge collection. I now have a mega collection of physical media, Dave. And I predict in 10 years time when all physical media has ceased, there will be this really fascinating buy, sell, trade kind of collector community around film who will be all trading in this sort of stuff. I think it'll be a really fascinating time in about 10 years from now. And when some of those shows and movies get pulled off their streaming services, there's going to be a big demand. Indeed, or when they get edited or censored on those services, people are going to say, I want I want to see the real thing. There's already about, I think it's at least three episodes of 30 Rock that you can't stream online because they've found problematic, quotation marks, things in them. 30 Rock, a very modern show made by a very progressive woman in the form of Tina Fey. You already can't see three of those episodes, Dave, unless you own the DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah, there's an episode of The Muppets that didn't make it to streaming um, because the guest star and genuinely was in this case. You, know, you don't have to make the argument. He was very problematic. Sure. Um, but um, yes, no, no, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, interesting times. My final short topic, Rob, is after enjoying season nine so much last month, I've just went on and watched season 10. I pulled the Blu-rays out. Now, for some reason, I didn't watch these when I bought the Blu-ray set. I was probably in the middle of watching 
some season for the Doctor Who show or something that we were <laughs> we were doing or something bigger dropped or I was overseas. Yeah. I don't know. But but I, I realised I hadn't watched it and I thought I've enjoyed season nine so much. I'll watch season ten and my goodness, did I just absolutely adore watching that season. It is five incredibly strong stories. I'll admit the three doctors, although I'm incredibly fond of it, and I love seeing Hartnell and Troughton in it. I did watch this for the first time in a long time, and I thought the script isn't all that good, and the production isn't definitely not that great. Yeah. Uh, so I did see the holes in the three doctors, but look, the performances of the three doctors themselves carried me through. Carnival of Monsters, every time I watch that, I'm just surprised at how brilliant it is. The script is absolutely sparkling. It looks fantastic. As a kid, I was just amazed by all that stuff inside the Miniscope. The drashies still look great. It's it's really, really good. And then It's a clever little thing, yeah. It's a really clever little thing. It's just so fun to watch. And then you get to the three six-parters, three classics. Frontier in Space, my God, what an epic Doctor Who story. Going from location to location, planet to planet. You've got some Malcolm Hulk politics going out there. Real universe building. It's, it's inspiring Babylon 5. You know, what, what more do you want from it? Yeah. Planet of the Daleks. Look, I, I know it's not the best Dalek story, and I know some people don't like it, but I love it. It's a classic Terry Nation adventure, and I was able to watch that very, very easily. And then The Green Death. Yeah. Just wow. wow. That is the epitome of the, the Pertwee era. It is so brilliantly written. It is so thought-provoking. The characterization is fantastic. The script, it looks fantastic. The location filming, the maggots are truly terrifying. And, and it just moves in and out of these really tense scenes with these really lovely scenes with the people at the Nuthatch or the Brigadier or Joe or whatever. It's, I just had so much fun watching this season of Doctor Who and, and doing that thing I keep talking about of not letting Doctor Who be my, I'm going to cook dinner and have Doctor Who on the background watching. So I'm mm. going to sit down turn the phone upside down, close the laptop and watch these stories. And every time I do that, I, I just appreciate them a little bit more. Yeah. Green Death in particular is probably the main Pertwee story where I think, well, I put it on. Oh, I don't know. But if I put it on, I instantly remember, oh yes, this is very watchable. Oh yes, I really like this one. And you're reminding me of it again that I probably should go and, and watch it again because I don't watch it enough, but I actually really like it and I find it very watchable. Well, if you do, come back and tell us next month what you thought. Yeah, yeah, I think I might have to, yeah. On that note. On, on that note, Dave, the main topic. The main topic. So, Rob, over the last three or four years, we've done a lot of mix and matching with our TARDIS crews. We've put mm -hmm. classic crews into new Who. We've put new Who crews into old Who. We've put crews into movies. We've put crews into TV <laughs> shows. And it got me thinking, well, the one thing we haven't done is said which crew has to go mm. in a particular story. Yeah, and I found this surprisingly hard. Out of all the iterations we've played of, of this sort of game, Dave, I found this the hardest in the sense that with a lot of stories, I'd be like, okay, I think I'm onto a winner. Can I see Bill Hartnell in this? No. Can I see Pat in this? No. John? No. Oh, this is great. Tom? No. But then I'd get to a ladder doctor and I'd be like, oh, bugger, I can imagine Sylve doing this. Or whatever, you know, I'd think of some modern tale and how it felt unique. And then I'd be like, oh, no, damn, I can picture Pat doing this probably. So, yeah, I had to really think 
And even then, I could still maybe still picture some other Doctor in some of these choices because the Doctor is, at the end of the day, the Doctor. It is very hard to make a list like this. I have made a list. I'm pretty happy with it. But it was a hard thing to do, Dave. Yeah, look, I feel the same. I mean, I, I sort of threw this out as a topic and we mulled it over and gone, yeah, can it work? Yeah, okay, yeah, we can make this work. And we put it on the schedule for July. And you're right. When you sort of sit down and get to it, you go, this is this is, this is is tough. Mm. This is, and, and I think because of that, it's been a really interesting experiment to do. I mean, Terrence Dix always said, you just write the Doctor and then let the performer put the character over the top. And, and there's a certain extent to which I think we're finding that is true. But sometimes you just get things all lining up in such a way mm-hmm. that you go, this could only happen here and now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I do have some of those big time where I'm absolutely happy with my reasoning. Absolutely. Yes. Now, so we went through and we made the list. I must admit, as I was working through all the doctors, I, I did feel a bit like Grandpa Simpson and wanted to sort of, you know, <laughs> write a letter. You know, Dear BBC, there are now too many doctors. Please lose three. <laughs> Fair, um, but, but I did I did get there. Do you reckon we'll have snaps with this one, Rob? One per era? I, I, I don't think we'll have one per era, but um, snaps that is. But I think we'll have snaps because when I was making these, some of them just seemed so obvious to me. I'm thinking, how can Dave not pick this? All right. I've just ticked two on my list I think we'll snap on. Okay. I have eyeballed two. I, <laughs> I've got it up on a computer screen, so I can't do much more of it. So I've eyeballed two. Okay. Fair enough. So look, following the policy we've had at the Doctor Who show over the last year, where we do these lists, we are going to do the eras in random order. I have a little bowl, of the bowl of Rassilon, I guess you could call it. Yes. To match the hat of Rassilon. And we will go through in random order just to mix it up a bit. You know, We don't always want to start with Hartnell. No. And the first one I'm going to start with, Rob, do you want to kick us off with the... Jodie Whittaker's story that could only have Jodie Whittaker. Oh, crikey. Okay. Jodie Whittaker. I've gone here, Dave, with the timeless children. Now, listeners may know my thoughts on this story, and that's what colours it as a very Jodie, or should I say a very Chibnall era sort of story. Whereas I see other modern showrunners adding bits and pieces to the lore. Think of even something like The Hybrid from Hellbent. RTD and Moffat never went full-blown, let's rewrite the core of a character, let's do it cack-handedly and not even have a payoff. Um, so, based on everything we know of Doctor Who from Hartnell through to the Whittaker era so far, I think this story could have only come from the Whittaker slash Chibnall era myself, and so I'm going with the Timeless Children for that reason. Interesting. I've got a bit different. Mm-hmm. I picked Spyfall. Oh, Okay. And there are a couple of reasons why I felt this was the right one to do. Part of it is that this is a story that really is structured around the whole Jodie Whittaker fam. And I think that all the different characters in that TARDIS crew all interact with that story in a particular way. So it needs to be them. I also think that the way the Doctor operates in this one is very, very Jodie. And I think it has been particularly written for Jodie to to look the way she does, to act the way she does. And I think that really stood out for me. But also, this is where we get the first appearance of the Sasha Dwan master. Mm-hmm. And I think only Jodie can go against that master in that way. I think, like a lot of masters, they're written for their Doctors. And, and, and this... I think is particular. Dewan and, and Whitaker are really strong together. So for a number of reasons, I went with Spyfall. Okay. Listeners, start making notes. See who you agree with more as we go through all of these. Oh, yes. Please do. I hope it's me. 
I will lead us off on one of the easier ones that I had to pick, and that was Davo. Right, yeah. And I've gone with Black Orchid because he plays cricket. (laughs) (laughs) And look, I was being a little bit facetious there, but... I think there are other reasons. I think it is a, a very 80s production. I think the way that the TARDIS crew works in that story is very, very Davison era. I think that the way that the Fifth Doctor is sort of carried through events is is very, very Davo. But he, he plays cricket for about 47 minutes of the story, so <laughs> it can only be Davo. Fair enough, Dave. Fair enough. Now, I thought that was going to be a snap. Was I right? No, no. Still, oh. Still no snaps. Dave, I've gone with Frontios. Now, you probably thought I was going to pick Kinder, because I love talking about Kinder, but no. I think Christopher H. Bidmead's stories have a definite flavour. And as two of his three stories are Davo stories, and the other one introduces Davo, I instantly get the vibe that he writes Davo stories. And I try and put other doctors into this, and it's hard. Even from having the point of view of a companion who would react to the Tractators in the same way. The closest era to this is Collins, and I just don't see Colin in this at all. So the more I thought about it, the more Frontios felt very Davo era to me. It's certainly one of his best performances. Yeah, I know you like it. I do like it. So I, I always like to talk about Frontios. Nice one. Thank you. Next out of the hat, Rob, please keep going with Sylvester McCoy. Sylvester McCoy. Here's where we may get a snap. I've gone with Survival. And I've gone with Survival here because it's the bridge between eras. On one hand, it's classic Doctor Who. Yes, but it's pushing the boat out so far. Do you see Colin in this? Do you see John in this or Tom? Nah, On the flip side of the coin, though, although it's doing things that New Who will do, you know, being very urban and all of that sort of stuff, it's still a quaint sort of TV that the modern era just doesn't do, as TV has evolved, and evolved several times since this was made. So it sits between two worlds, with elements of both in it, but not enough for other classic teams eras to be messing with it and not enough for the modern era to really step into it so survival for me dave it's not a snap but we did have similar thinking Mm -hmm. because i've gone with the curse of fenric okay i cannot imagine another doctor filling in this story this is all about evil from the dawn of time and that's a very mccoy thing <laughs> yes. the treatment of the doctor's companion is a very mccoy thing in fact the way that the doctor's companion ace acts in this is a very ace thing uh this this really i think could only be done with ace uh, the way that the doctor works his way through that narrative that that mccoy dark doctor thing is very very explicit to him and very explicit to him and and sophie aldred as ace so i just thought that was a really clear pick Mm -hmm. but i can totally see where you're coming from with with survival as well i really can thank you i will keep us going with peter capaldi this this was a tough one because you realize as you go through this process or at least i certainly did how much peter capaldi really did pull from other doctors he pulled a lot from tom he pulled a bit from pertwee and some from others so it was tough but i went in the end with listen Okay. Because that is a story that needs Peter Capaldi to be in there. It needs that 
older Doctor, and I don't mean older just in terms of Capaldi, the actor being old, although that is part of it, but older in terms of the Doctor himself being a long way through his lifespan. You couldn't have an early Doctor do that listen concept, particularly when you start to reminisce about the Doctor's childhood. The way that the Doctor is excited by mystery, is going off in crazy tangents, is, is looking and exploring, is just totally Capaldi. Mm. And, and the interaction of Clara with him I think is also very, very particular. That that story sits there for me as the epitome of the Capaldi era, and I think that only Capaldi could deliver that script. Okay. I'm hearing you on FM there, Dave. But it's not a snap. Not a snap. Not a snap. This was maybe one of the easiest ones for me on the list. Ooh. And I've gone with Hell Bent. Now, I just don't see this as a classic story. I don't see this playing out in the classic era at all. So of the modern Doctors, which of them could have gone down to Gallifrey and had a, a shouting match with Rassilon, shoot a Time Lord General, and all of that stuff? I mean, Eccleston is a hard man on the outside, and he might have the front to show up. But I think he's shown to be a lot softer than he really appears in some stories, and I don't think he'd go through with a lot of this. Whereas I think Capaldi is a genuinely angry man. You know, the Rebel Time Lord, as he liked to put it when he when he got the role. He was like, I'm going to play this as the Rebel Time Lord. And I think we see that here. I think this is a super Capaldi story. I don't see any other Doctor doing what he does in this story. No, I get that. Yeah? Yeah, I totally get that. Di- very different angle to you. It, it is. It's, it's, it is. And, and, you know, Capaldi is a very interesting doctor there's a lot to him and i think yeah it's interesting that you found it easy and i found him really hard yeah this one just stood out to me jumped off the page yeah fair enough the next doctor is the second patrick trout and rob gosh pat i'm going here with tomb of the cybermen and i'll say given what we were just talking about this was my hardest pick of the lot genuinely that was the last one I, i made on the list because so much of Pat's era I could see other Doctors in. I'd, I'd look at each and every story and think, oh, no, I can see this Doctor in this and that Doctor in that, you know. But here, it feels very out of place for Hartnell. Maybe because I don't think of Hartnell as a Cyberman kind of Doctor. You know, they only just come in as he's going out the door. <laughs> yep. uh, the Pert, I, I don't see here at all. Not just because he doesn't get any Cyberman stories. Just in general, I don't see Pertwee in this. Tom at a pinch... I could maybe make an argument for, but maybe not. Davo, no. Colin. Colin actually gets into some cyber tombs in his era, and it's nothing like this. Uh, McCoy, no. And then into the modern Doctors, and I don't see it being done in the same way. So, yes, as well as thinking of the problematic stuff that is in this story as well, and you think, well, maybe that could only happen in the 60s. I just don't see any other era doing this. So, to me, this is firmly rooted in 1967, Tomb of the Cybermen for Pat. I went with the Seeds of Death. Really? And I did this because, like you, I struggled with the Troughton era. There, there is a lot of Troughton stories that you could put another TARDIS crew in and it's them fighting Daleks, it's them fighting Cybermen. And, and you, look, look, other Doctors have fought the Ice Warriors, but... This feels very much like Pat Troughton and his era. It's, it's a story that could really only have been made 
at the time that man was about to land on the moon. It really feels mm. like 1969 and, and the Trouton era. The way that the crew interacts with each other, Jamie and Zoe, I think is very particular. I think you need Zoe here to really drive a large part of the plot, particularly at the back end where she's quite instrumental in, in working things out. Mm-hmm. You need Jamie there to fight the Ice Warriors, but, but also this is a story that's really about the second Doctor running up and down corridors on the moon, which which is a very Trouton thing. And it's also the story where the Doctor goes around gunning down ice warriors, which is a very Trouton thing. Yeah. Um, he, he was he was not afraid to, you know, get out there and mow down a few ice warriors when the time came, which other Doctors really don't do. So for a number of reasons, both vibe and plot and setting, I, I thought this was the Trouton pick, but yes, it was hard. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not entirely happy even with this as my pick. Because do you think, well, the Doctor with a smart companion, how about Tom not afraid to go the knuckle or shoot people with Romana in this? Yeah, look, uh, I, I can't imagine Tom piloting a rocket. <laughs> Fair enough. He, he, you know, I think, I think just sitting in a rocket for you know, a couple of days that goes to the moon, I, I can't see him doing. Pertwee flew in a rocket, but... He, he pilots I, that little flying car when he does the bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, that, and you see, and that's just the wrong vibe. Okay. It's just the wrong vibe because this is all about that that whole thing where people were watching television for hours and seeing man laying on the moon and going, wow, it actually takes a long time to go to the moon. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and they're really sort of emulating that. So, look, look. I think both of us struggled with Troughton, which is interesting in itself. Yeah, well, look, the, the Tom and Romana thing is the closest I could put into Seeds of Death. And as we've just discussed, it probably doesn't work. So, you know, it's it's probably a good pick. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, I'm, I'm, I'm content with it. Very good. Uh, I'm very content with my pick for our next Doctor, which is Colin. Colin, yes. I've gone Vengeance on Varos mm-hmm. because it is that 80s nasty, violent sort of story that I love. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. But you can't imagine another story that would have somebody accidentally falling in a pool of acid. Yeah. I can't imagine another story where the doctor just, you know, traps somebody in a whole bunch of deadly vines, mm. where his companion gets transmuted into a bird and, and just lots of things happen that is very particular of Colin's Doctor, very particular of Colin's era, and I just can't imagine any other Doctor being put into the Punishment Dome on Varos. And that's fine. That's that's what Colin's era was about. It's its own thing. I think it's a great story, but it's Colin. Snap! There you go. One of my two eyeballs uh, has just come up. Vengeance well on Varos for me too. Well picked. Yeah, with with its background in, in video nasties and the public reacting to snuff movies and things like that, this feels a very 80s concept, but I can't see Davo in it at all. Sylve might go close, but it does feel so rooted in Colin's era and using Colin's doctor, even though Colin's era is like this little, you know, two, three-year thing. I would find it very hard to see jody in this i find it very hard to see hartnell in this you know i i almost went for revelation in this spot instead and i think i can make a really good argument for revelation too but in the end vengeance on virus a super duper colin baker story that i just can't see others in so snap there you go oh look that was one that very quickly stood out for me so not surprised you snapped there yeah although, although i can see where revelation would fit in as well like that's yeah. not a shock mm-hmm. uh matt smith rob Smithy. 
I've gone here with the 11th hour. And here we're into the, the Moffat era. And his stories do feel so very different to the RTD era. I mean, I acknowledge Moffat wrote in the RTD era, but when we get to the Moffat era proper, his Doctor Who feels very different to what had gone before. And I think when everyone talks about the fairy tale feel that he suddenly brought into New Who, into Modern Who, I don't see it being something that Tennant or Eccleston could have done in their modern eras. Conversely, I don't think it's something that Capaldi could have stepped into comfortably and done this fairy tale kind of vibe. You know, maybe Jodie with the children's television presenter persona that I often joke about, but then I think the whole thing would have felt quite different. So in terms of really doing justice to the story of the 11th hour, I think it's very much a Smithy thing. It's a Smithy original. I... I couldn't go past this one. Um, yeah, 11th hour for Smith. Uh, look, I didn't go with the 11th hour. I did have a couple of options with Smith. Um, I almost went with dinosaurs on a spaceship, but in the end decided on the girl who waited. And okay. the reason that one over the other nominees for Smith is because all of the TARDIS crew from that story really have to be there to make that story work this mm-hmm. is this is a story about a very particular i would say in some ways quite toxic relationship yep. the, between the doctor and rory and amy and and i think you only get that in, in the moffat era and you only get that in the smith era and you particularly get it in this story you can't translate even you know as difficult sometimes as you know the fifth doctor and adric and nissa were um you know or, or, or tegan as well you know yeah. even as difficult as they were they never quite reached the levels of toxicity that I really see in that relationship at that point in the story. So I just couldn't take anybody out there. It, it is a very Moffat story. It's all about the timey-wimey. It's all about the tragedy. It's all about the feels and the Murray Gold score. It's just so particular of what it does and it needs those characters to to do what it wants to do. So the girl who waited for me. Yeah, I, I, while you were talking, I was trying to think of other times in Doctor Who there's been not even necessarily a love triangle, but a triangle of sorts between the leads. And I'm thinking in recent history, maybe Eccleston and Barrowman with Billy Piper. They're both trying to impress Rose. But then going back beyond that, has it ever really happened? I'm thinking, you know, well, Harry Sullivan and Sarah Jane got along. Did the Doctor sort of interfere with that? No, not really. Um, You know, Bill Hartnell with Ian and Barbara. Uh, No. So I, I can't even see that dynamic in other eras, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it's very, very particular of that era, Doctor, Season, TARDIS crew. It, it's very, very particular. Yeah, agree. Good one. John Pertwee. John Pertwee. I have picked The Green Death. Okay. And look, if you said to chat GPT, write me a third Doctor story, it would write <laughs> The Green Death. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to disagree with that in the moment, but go on. Okay, okay. Uh, look, I think that this is a story that's all about the Third Doctor's era and and his companions and his 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 entourage. It's got the uh, ecological message in there that's very particular of his era. It's got Pertwee shouting at miners. It's got Pertwee. <laughs> it's got Pertwee. Um, exploring things and doing scientific experiments. He's he's mixing chemicals and he's playing with test tubes. Yes. It's got Joe Grant being Joe Grant. It's got the Brigadier, a really good performance of the Brigadier. Um, it's It's got Mike Yates doing a very particular thing. It's just all these things that I think of 
the third doctor doing he does them in here he he has an he has a venusian aikido fight at least a couple of times mm. he gets to argue with a computer yeah just you know all, all these little things you might say well you know a different doctor did that one particular thing but pert we did them all yeah and this to me is just so much the epitome of the Perwi era okay well let's see what i've picked because dave i've gone with the demons and I'm running with this story because of the unit family vibe that's present. And I know it's not the only Pertwee unit story by a long shot, but I think this is peak unit family. And when I think of other doctors and unit, Pat, nah, his relationship with unit wasn't like this. Tom, nah, unit was a spent force when he came in. Sylve, nah, I don't see it. Battlefield's more of a just a brigadier piece and unit's a backdrop. And the others who didn't do unit stories, I find it even harder to see. So I think the Demons is not only peak unit family, but peak Pertwee, more so than the Green Death. And for that reason, we're on the same ticket here that we're looking at what we regard as peak Pertwee. But for me, it's the Demons. Yeah, look, I can't argue with that. (laughs) I, I, I think that the Green Death, to defend my corner for a moment ticks that extra box by having that very particular ecology theme through it. That's fair. So that, that to me does tick another box. But look, you're right. I've got the master. I, I You've got the master, which, is, yeah, again, that's that's a really good point. Look, you're right. I mean, they both have Pertwee arriving in a location and shouting at people. They, <laughs> they both have Pertwee having a fight. They both have Pertwee doing the whole science, Miss Grant. So, you know... <laughs> They are ticking very particular Pertwee boxes. Look, I love both those stories, so you know I'm not I'm not upset by that pick at all. Yeah, we we have different picks, but we're on the same road here. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely are. Keep us on the road or divert if you wish, Rob, with William Hartnell. William Hartnell, Dave, I've gone here with the Reign of Terror. My Hartnell pick had to be an historical, as they're so rare outside of Bill's era. Only Pat and Davo have pure historicals, and not many. And of Bill's historicals, which is the most straightforward? I don't think I could pick comedy like the Romans. That's too much like fun. That's too much what modern Doctor Who would do if it gave a pure historical a go. I think to keep the audience interested, they'd probably do a comedy. So I think it's this one. It's it's barely even Doctor Who in some ways. It's super historical, very linear, I find it very, very hard to see other eras doing the Reign of Terror. Fair enough. No snap? Uh, I I thought I was going to hear a snap there. No, no, no snap. In fact, I did think very hard about the historicals. And and you're right, I did rule out the sort of the... uh, the Donald Cotton sort of comedy historicals for the same reason you did. I could, I could right. see a number of modern doctors doing that. And, and look, I could put, you know, a McCoy into the Aztecs. I could put other doctors into Marco Polo. But what I can't see another TARDIS crew dropping into is the Web Planet. Ah! Oh, yeah, okay. Because this is a story that starts off with that real Hartnell thing of arriving on a very alien planet. And yes. taking time to really explore this alien planet. And and that's very, very Hartnell. But you also have the way that Ian interacts there. You have the way that Barbara goes off and interacts there and works with the Monoptery. You have Vicky and the like. So it, it works for them. But 
the thing that really sold it for me is that infamous thing about the web planet having no human characters or anything even resembling a human character. And you can rule all the modern doctors out from that straight away because there's no way that a Russell T Davies or a Moffat would go, I'm going to have a story with no relatable human characters whatsoever. It just mm. wouldn't be done. I, I couldn't see the other doctors doing that. I just thought the web planet is so Hartnell era. It could only be done in that era. And it just seemed an obvious pick for me. Very nice. Very well reasoned too. Another that I had trouble with has just come out of the hat roll, but that is David Tennant. <laughs> okay. Because there are some things about the Tennant era that are very particular to it, but but he's also, he's kind of generic doctor. Hmm. He's kind of generic era. He just goes around and doing doctory things. And, and that's so, why he's so popular. And that's probably why he is so popular. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and indeed, the, the Doctor had the most trouble with still hasn't come out yet and is also very popular, so you can probably work out who it is. <laughs> yes. In the end, I went for Doomsday. Okay. And that's because of the whole Tenth Doctor Rose thing. I mm-hmm. just can't see another Doctor quite being as explicit in wanting to shag their companion as <laughs> as the Doctor is here in Doomsday. I can't see another Doctor doing the whole, I destroyed a star so I could say goodbye. Jesus, you know. <laughs> God, it's terrible. Um, I just can't see another Doctor doing that. So for that particular reason, that, that, that was the bit of tenant I latched on to, to go only he could do Doomsday. That's interesting because I almost did Tooth and Claw for the same reason. Right. Mm, But I didn't. I went with the Doctor's daughter because conceptually I don't see this flying in the classic era at all. I don't think they would have brought this sort of concept in at all in the classic era. So that just wipes all those guys out in one hit. And in the modern era, I don't see Chris reacting the same way to Jenny. Um, Would Smith... No, probably a bit off. Um, Capaldi would be weird towards the idea, I think, especially the Capaldi of his first two seasons. And Jodie, I think it'd just be odd. So maybe it's also the chemistry that Georgia had with, with Dave, which then, you know, kicked on in real life and they got married. But the performance and the vibe here does just feel so very Tenth Doctor era to me. I couldn't go past the Doctor's daughter. Yeah, I, I get that. It's not one that occurred to me when I was thinking of my short list, but now you say that it is kind of the web planet of the Tenant era in, in that it's just so particular of that era. It could only You're right, I could only see it being done in that era. Yeah, yeah. From one incredibly popular Doctor to another. Yes. I struggled with this one, Rob. Tom Baker, of course. How did you find him? Where did you go? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say when we were making these lists over the last week or so, friend of the show, Mike Solko, wrote to us on Facebook and gave us a few suggestions. And his Tom was City of Death. And for a period, I was really mulling that over and thinking, oh, City of Death, I think that could be a winner. But in the end, I've gone with Sharda. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because with Tom, I could imagine a lot of stories that most other eras couldn't do but then one would pop up i think this one however with douglas adams writing with the 70s vibe it's too much for bill pat john by the time davo comes along i don't think it feels right and that just increases as we get to cole and sylve ironically i know it's been done with mcgann as an audio 
But what I find is that is a very bizarre and jarring piece, which perhaps proves this point to myself at the very least, that Sharda is a very Tom story. I just can't see it any other way. That's a really good pick. Look, I, I could see Peter Capaldi in City of Death. Okay. Uh, and, and very easily, I think, but I can't see him in Sharda. So, yeah, go. I think I think you're right. I went in a very different direction with this one. Okay. Um, having, having really struggled with Tom, I went with The Seeds of Doom. Right. And that is because I think The Seeds of Doom, which is my favourite Tom story, it's in my top five Doctor Who stories ever, I love it. Yes. But it, it is the kind of height of the Tom Baker, Liz Sladen, Philip Hinchcliffe, Robert Holmes combination such that there's never anything quite like it ever again the the way the doctors acts in that really particularly whimsical and and and, and bizarre way is is there but but then twisting on a dime to be violent you know punching out a chauffeur doing all that sort of thing you know running around with a handgun the way that Liz Sladen and Sarah Jane is, is treated in here, you know, being held down, you know, I must see what happens when a critter touches human flesh. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't see that moment in any other era of the show. I really just can't. I can't see people being thrown into a mulching machine in any other <laughs> season of the show but this one. What about season 22? <laughs> Even season 22, it's it's silly violence. It's, yeah. it's There's an edge to this one. Yeah. There's a real edge to this one that I think only Tom Baker can get away with. And so for me, that's that's why I picked it. You don't think Capaldi? I can't see Capaldi running around with a handgun and shooting chauffeurs. Okay. Or punching chauffeurs, I should say. But yeah, no, no, I can't. So okay. um, yeah, that, that was tough because I think, I think, you know, Tom is the every doctor. Yeah, true. So it, it, it is tough. That leaves us with one more, Rob. Mm-hmm which is, of course, the wonderful Christopher Eccleston. Yes, uh, because we're not doing Paul McGann. We should have told the listeners that up front. No, because I think we could both sit here and tell people why we'll do the TV movie. <laughs> yes. That wouldn't be very exciting <laughs> or surprising. Um, look, Christopher Eccleston, I've picked Father's Day. Okay. And I've picked it because of the tone of the story. That, that story to work needs to have a very funereal tone over the top of it. And... That, to me, really means it has to be the Ninth Doctor and it has to be Rose. It It's tugging on the heartstrings, but not in the way that the Tenet era would do, not in the way that the Smithian would do, in, in that very melancholic way that I could only imagine Eccleston doing. Yes, I could imagine somebody like a McCoy doing part of it with that sort of very sad aspect to it, but McCoy wouldn't have the relationship with his companion that's necessary to pull it off. Mm. So I think it does all come together, script, tone, character, to be Father's Day for me. Okay. Did we get a final snap, Rob? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Because, Dave, I've gone with Dalek. Oh, I came so close to that. Really? Okay, we'll see if your logic was the same. Because it's interesting when we get to the Eccleston era. Not only are there not many to pick from, but I was thinking, gosh, so many of these stories could be tenant stories. <laughs> I, I can see tenant doing that with Billy. I can see tenant doing that. Oh, yeah, I see tenant doing that. And then uh, the light bulb went above my head. Oh, of course, because RTD has such a strong influence on series one stories, series two stories, series three stories, etc. His era is just flavored that way. <laughs> so, of course, there's going to be similarities. So, I've gone with a non RTD story from Eccleston's era. And I think this is the one where the reactions to the Dalek 
and such wouldn't feel right with Tennant. I think it's too modern for the classic Doctors to be in. And even though Smith has a similar reaction to the Dalek in Victory of the Daleks when he sees the Dalek, I think he'd still feel off in it as well. So I went with Dalek. Yeah, I think that's all very fair. As, as you were saying it, I was thinking, you know, you know, I could imagine Tom or Capaldi doing some of the confrontation with the Dalek, but the whole back half stuff, no, definitely not. Hmm. I mean, Eccleston really goes off his head at the Dalek, you know, and I, I know Capaldi can be shouty, I know Tom can be shouty, but could they go there? I mean, he's, he's almost like a, I don't know, like a soccer hooligan or something, the way he's get, getting up in its eye stalk and like, you know, eyeballing it, literally, you know, yeah. and, and yelling at it and he's, he, he just wants to kill it, you know, and of course the twist is that he doesn't because he's a coward, as he calls himself you know but, yeah uh, it, it is a truly amazing performance isn't it yeah yeah really good stuff well there you go at the end of all of that we only had the one snap vengeance on varos for colin which look i don't think that's particularly controversial <laughs> no <laughs> um any any takeaways you had from this process rob just the one I, I i had at the start which is that it was very hard in the end because you can you can see the doctor as a through line through all these eras, which is just marvellous. From 1963 onwards, from the old series to the new series, there is this core that is the Doctor that you still see, even when the, the persona changes remarkably, even when the story writers change remarkably. You can still often put other Doctors into stories. It's much harder to, to, to say the stories that they couldn't be in. So this was hard. Yeah, look, I found it harder than I expected as well. I, I think that those doctors who are the most popular and the most well-known and in some ways very generic were the particularly hard ones to do. But yeah, it's, it's been really, really fascinating to, to try and do it. But as you say, you look at each of these options and you can see how the doctors reflected in, in each of them. And I mean, I'm, I'm now sort of sitting here thinking, you know, if I had to put Jodie Whittaker into a story from each year, could I do it? And I think I could. It would be tough. In mm. a couple of eras, but I think I could. Yeah, yeah, same. Excellent. Well, look, that's been our topic for this month. Please, as always, write in. Let us know what you thought of our topics. Did you agree more with me, more with Rob? Did you have your own suggestions? Did we miss something obvious? Please write in, tweet us, and let us know. Yes. Speaking of people who have written in, Rob, do you want to read out Shane's email, please? I'm happy to. This is from Shane. He says, Hello. Loved the interview with Paul Hayes. Read his book, Pull to Open. Sounds like a fantastic read, as did his other book, The Long Game. I shall endeavour to collect both. It's funny getting so worked up. This is a new topic, by the way, new paragraph. It's funny getting so worked up against the Poms during the Ashes, but still loving them so much. Cheers from Shane. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. Oh, the Ashes. Whew. We sit as we record here, folks, on the uh, almost the eve of the fifth and final test, which will be, ooh, by the time people hear this episode, it could be all over. So what's going to happen, Dave? Look, I do hope that England can perhaps square the series. I think that the current scoreboard is perhaps not reflective of how close some of these tests have been. Um, and look, that's that's entirely England's fault. Um, you know, as, 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 as Ricky Ponting said, you know, when they worried about losing the fourth test because of the weather, well, if you won the first two, you wouldn't have to worry. And look, that is yes, true. Yes. Um, but, you know, Australia has not been fantastic. They have not deserved necessarily to walk away with this series as they have. So I'm, I'm hoping for a really good fifth test to, um, to round it out. And look, my favourite 
cricket combination right now, and has been for some years, is Broad bowling to Smith. Okay. Um, I'm at my happiest with cricket watching Broad bowl to Smith, so a bit more of that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I don't just say this because the majority of our audience is listening in the UK, but I do think a two-all draw on the series would better reflect the series than a 3-1 win to Australia. As much as I'd love to see a 3-1 win to Australia, I think two-all reflects the series better. Yeah, look, I think that's that's very fair. But look, I've really enjoyed this actual series. It's been a good one to watch. Mm, it has. It has indeed. So thank you, Shane. We've now got an email from Lee who says, Hi, Rob and Dave. Really enjoyed your latest List Makers episode. I actually thought there would be more snaps, but if there had to be one, I'm glad it was Duggan. Yes. Just a suggestion for a list maker topic for the hat. Top five Doctor Who podcasts or other fan-created content. If that's not putting you both on the spot too much, I'll leave it up to you to work out the criteria for content. Thanks for the podcast as always. Appreciate all the time and work involved in producing it so regularly. Will we ever get a Beatles World Cup podcast come back too, Rob? You and Jono left us hanging a few months ago. Best wishes, Lee. Before I hand the Beatles topic over to... Rob, I'll just yes. say, look, we, we may work out a way to do a, a fan-created content topic. We we definitely won't be doing top five podcasts because we're personal friends with a number of Doctor Who podcasters and having to rank them would, I think, just be a bit uncomfortable, certainly for us and possibly for them. Yeah, it'd be like going into your workplace and <laughs> grading everyone there. Like, oh, I like you a lot. I don't like you at all. <laughs> you yeah, know, you're yes. all right. <laughs> yeah. So look, look, nice idea. Um, but uh, we we won't be doing that. But yeah, if we can work out a way to do the the <laughs> fan content, you know, if we start talking about things like BBV productions and the like. Mm. there's maybe an angle there so yeah we'll have a think Lee thanks for that yeah we will uh, and just on the Beatles World Cup uh, quite simply that's a that's a Jono thing that's a Jono Park production when he wants me back to record more episodes I will record more episodes I know he's been very very busy he runs his own business over in New Zealand looks after a small staff of people so he is a genuinely busy dude and uh, that's all going on at the moment. But I'd, I'd love to get back into it at some stage. Uh, I know he wanted to get my work bestie on a few episodes to really spice things up in this next series. So uh, it'll happen at some stage. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, a quick look at what we've been watching, our semi-regular feature to close off our episodes. Um, I'm going to mention before I talk about a couple of TV series, I have seen a lot of movies over the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm particularly pleased with how the Barbieheimer phenomenon has gone because I've gone to a number of movies that I thought deserved to do a little bit better. The Flash had its problems, but I enjoyed that movie and Michael Keaton was great. I saw it in a nearly empty cinema on a Friday night when it came out yep. and thought, wow, this is this is a problem. And look, it's lost hundreds of millions. We know that. I really enjoyed the fifth Indiana Jones movie. As someone who's not a particular fan of the franchise, I, I thought it was good. And look, people I know who've seen it have said they've enjoyed it and it's, it's picked up a bit over the coming weeks, but it's not done as well as it should. Mission Impossible 7, look, it was a fine movie. It, it had stunts. It was a bit too long, but it's been swamped by Oppenheimer on the yeah. on the big screens. So after a number of flops, I'm just really happy to see two movies do so fantastically well, both with with the audience and at the box office. And look, if two movies that do well were going to have to be two ambitious, risky, unusual attempts by two directors who are strong enough to get their way with studios. 
uh, as Christopher Nolan and Greta Gerwig are. I think that's a really good thing for cinema. And and maybe if this is what prompts studios to do a few more risky and original movies at reasonable budgets, you know, 100, 150 million, not 400 million, if they start doing that more rather than real cooked by committee, safe sequel saga movies, that's not a bad thing for the world. That's my little homily into movies. Yeah, and look, one of them starring Killian Murphy, of course, Peaky Blinders is one of my all-time top favourite TV shows. I love him in that. And our own Margot Robbie in the other one, a top Aussie actress. Yes, that's true. And of course, Shooty Gatwick gets a line or two. Indeed. Um, but look, what have I been watching on the television? As this podcast goes out, we will have seen the last episode of The Crowded Room, which is on Apple, starring Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. I was curious about this. I saw the trailers. I saw Tom Holland's performance. and thought, I'll give this a try. And the first couple of episodes I did find a bit difficult to watch. But in the third episode, I clicked as to what was going on and to what was happening with this character. And then I really got into it. In, in the fourth, fifth, sixth episode, they they really dive into what's going on with this character in a really clever and engrossing way. And Tom Holland's performance is just exceptional. And this went from, oh, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this. It's a bit slow. It's a bit weird to, this is must-watch. Oh, my God, this is amazing television. So wow. I really enjoyed it, The Crowded Room. Uh, and I have now watched the second season of DC's Titans. Mm-hmm. I wasn't blown away by the first season, which is why I didn't rush straight into the second when I watched that. But when I had a look at sort of what they were doing with the second season, some of the characters they're introducing, I thought, yeah, I might just give it another try. And I found the second season to be really, really strong and a big step up from season one. So I've quite enjoyed that. And look, I am about to finish uh, Secret Invasion. I'm not sure whether I stuck with that one because it was good or just out of habit. Mm. I have to say, though. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm like that with some series. Uh, I know when Elite comes back on TV, I only stick with that because I've watched all the other series <laughs> of that. It was only the first series that was really good. Now we're up to series 76 or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, am I still watching this? Riverdale is the same. Um but anyway season two of Heartstoppers coming out those very shortly so that's exciting there was a trailer for that playing on facebook uh, with the sound off while i was waiting for you to come online earlier well there, there you go and of course friend of the podcast dylan reese won an emmy for that show so well done dylan right right i, I saw two chaps getting around paris they seem to have gone to paris for a holiday maybe uh, a school excursion, I believe. A school excursion. There you go. There you go. What have you been watching, Rob? <laughs> I'm into the home stretch on Farscape. And since I last spoke about it, things have just got better and better. I mean, you can tell it was a budget show when so many of the episodes are just set on their ship and something goes wrong with the ship. <laughs> and sometimes it's just the ensemble cast on the ship fixing the ship. You know, there are episodes <laughs> like that. But then there are some episodes that really push the boat out and have massive sets and big casts and epic stories. And and I'm really happy with it. I, I think it's great. I'll, I'll say more once I finish this fourth season and then watch the miniseries that ends everything, which was meant to be a fifth season. And it was just put out as a, a miniseries because they didn't make a fifth season. Meanwhile, I'm also watching Taboo, which is a Tom Hardy series from 2017. And I thought, surely I can't have had this on my Netflix, you know, watch list since 2017. Surely it dropped only three years ago or something, you know, more recently. And I've had it on the list since then. Uh, It's a Napoleonic era Britain 
Tom Hardy is a very disturbed ex-East India Company man who goes up against the East India Company over some land that he's been willed over in North America. And it's just so odd. His character has this background of having spent time in Africa and he knows all this weird shamanistic sort of stuff. And he's really hot for his half-sister and visits her and has sex with her in dreams. And, <laughs> and London looks so wonderfully dirty and grimy back in, like, you know, the, the early 1800s. And our mate from the last episode, Mark Gatiss, plays the Prince Regent in this series, Dave. So, okay. look, it's, it's not for everyone. I'll say that up front. It's odd. It's Tom Hardy being very, very Tom Hardy. But I like it. I've seen just through halfway. I've, I've seen five episodes of the eight, and I like it. And I think it's still on the agenda for having a second season at some stage, even though this first season was six years ago. Okay. Mm. I, I always have a weird one, I know, Dave. You, 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 you do. You, you put out some, some, <laughs> some different things, but that's really cool. Yeah, there you go. Now, Rob. Yes. At the time this next month's episode drops, I will be in Reykjavik. Wow. Uh, and I will be not in Australia for several weeks before that. So I unfortunately can't turn up and record the August episode of the Doctor Who show. So I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. So please tell us what's the plan for next time. I, I have a plan, which is good. And the plan is that each year we try and do a quotation marks big finish episode of yes. the, the Doctor Who show. And I thought to myself, well, we could do the Big Finish episode and I could finally get Dwayne Bunny onto the show. Dwayne, obviously, from our mates at Sirens of Audio. Um, I've, I've been on his show before, but I've never had him on the show before. I thought, well, this this seems to make sense. We'll do a Big Finish episode with Dwayne Bunny, who knows an awful lot about Big Finish. So we put our heads together and to celebrate the return of Mel to New Who... We've put a poll up, or we will put a poll up, of four Mel stories for listeners to vote on. And these four Mel stories will be The Fires of Vulcan, The Juggernauts, Catch 1782, and The High Price of Parking. You'll be able to vote on these four stories, and then Dwayne Bunny and I will do an episode on whichever one you vote for. Well, look, if I can't be there, Dwayne will be a very worthy replacement and definitely knows his topic when it comes yes. to Big Finish. So I think that's a really good solution. I will, uh, I'll, I'll probably listen to you somewhere in Iceland. So when you, when you see a listener suddenly download the podcast in Iceland, that'll be me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yes, look, uh, Dwayne was a great choice for this, but we've we've had so many good co-hosts over the we years. And, and because I only get like one chance maybe per year to have a go with them, it's, it's like, oh, I'd love to ask him or him or her. Or, and it's like, oh, no, but I still have never done this guy. So, yeah, gosh, spoiled for choice we are with our possible co-hosts. Fantastic. Well, look, I will be a listener next month and then back the month after. Good luck with it all. Thank you very much. But until then, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And Rob will speak to you again soon. I will. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the DW Show. Dot net.